Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Changing the Game in Consumer Industries, presented by SAP. The best-run business is run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in a digital world, to run, grow, connect, and transform, to engage customers and patients across their journey. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Yes, indeed. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you're always in the right place with us because this is where the best run. We have a very interesting topic for you today. We're doing something very unusual here on today's Game Changers radio show. We are going to take a sports approach to business strategy. I know it's been done before, but we haven't done it in a while, and I'm excited. So let me give you the buzz on the street. It actually comes from some text underneath a YouTube video I found. It will set us up really nicely. Listen up. The crossover is one of the most lethal offensive moves in the NBA used by the game's best ball handlers. Now, if you're not in the U.S. or you're not familiar, NBA is the National Basketball Association. Basketball is the key to here. So what are we talking about here? The first crossover. It's a move. It's a strategy. It's cool. It's exciting. It could be hypnotic. It was seen in a street basketball game at Rucker Park by the street legend Richard Rick, known as Pee Wee Kirkland back in the day. Then in the early 1960s, someone named Oscar Robinson, Robertson used it on the basketball course. In the 1980s, Dwayne Washington used it playing for Syracuse. Then, a little bit later, Tim Hardaway popularized the killer crossover in the NBA, and he called it the UTEP UTEP, UTEP's two-step. That's a tongue twister. And Iverson popularized the double crossover in the early 2000s. So what are we talking about? A crossover dribble is a basketball maneuver where the player dribbling the ball switches the ball rapidly from hand to hand to make a change in direction. And they head up court, they dribble the ball, let's say, in the left hand, they make a wide step left, a good head fake. And if the defender is deceived, the player can switch to dribbling with the right hand and surpass the defender. I hope I sound like a sportscaster. There are six different types of crossovers, but I'm not going to give them to you. We'll include them later in the show. So how in the world are we connecting this to business? You can tell I'm excited. To succeed in today's hyper-competitive environment, we could say hyper-connected, hyper-digital, hyper-demanding, consumer products, companies, CP, that's what we're talking about here, need greater speed, greater agility, greater defense. They've got to be in the moment ready to pounce. So we're going to suggest today that they borrow from this famous sports playbook and master the crossover basketball move. Aha! Done right, the strategy can be hypnotic, as I said. You can disguise your next step and keep your rivals off balance as you get into position to make your next big play. I don't think I've been this excited in an opening. I'm talking to Don Gordon, who's on the panel today in a long time. So are you ready to learn the right moves? We have three panelists who are going to help us get from down court to up court and make that basket. Let me tell you who they are. First up, in just a moment, we'll be meeting Javier Flores, F-L-O-R-E-S, if you're looking him up. Consumer Products Industry Principal in the Customer Experience Group at SAP. Joining him on the panel, also a newcomer, is Kyle Tate. He's a researcher and producer at a company called Event Conferences, and we'll find out what he does. And rounding out the panel, I already mentioned Don Gordon, who is on the team that sponsors this series. He's Global Marketing Director covering the Consumer Products 
products industry for SAP. Welcome to my esteemed panelists, and let's get started. First up, Javier Flores has sent us a quote from George MacDonald, who wrote At the Back of the North Wind. It's a children's book. Uh, George MacDonald was a Scottish author who lived from 1824 to 1905. He was a Christian minister and a poet, and uh, the book is very, very widely received, continued to be one of his masterpieces. We'll just leave it there. Here's the quote, and then Javier's going to come on and explain what it has to do with Consumer Products Company. So, to be trusted is a greater compliment than being loved. Javier Flores, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? Doing good. Thank you for having me here. We're delighted. I'm going to say buenos dias because I know you're in Mexico, but you'll be telling us a little more about your location later. Help me out here. Trusted, better compliment than being loved. We're talking consumer products. We're talking a lot of competition, a lot of newcomers, a lot of encroachers. It's busy on the playing field. So tell me how this works for our topic today. Go ahead, Javier. Yeah, I mean, I really like this quote because it kind of brings me back to, 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 to my childhood. I mean, my, my mom, when I was asking for permit, I don't know, to a sleepover or something, she said, yeah, you can go because I trust you. Uh, but if, if I, I mean, if you lose my trust, it will take a while in order to regain it. So, I mean, I know that she will always love me, but I mean, <laughs> that trust, I, I need to get it, right? Uh, I need to retain it. And it, it's the same for, for companies. I mean, it's, I mean, a, a company needs, to, to, to deliver on the promise needs to be predictable, needs, needs to be honest in order to gain the trust. And once they, they have your trust, I mean, in order to, to maintain it, they have to, to, to keep doing it, right? And as business is getting more and more complex, it's very hard, I mean, because you need to have everything connected, the supply chain and, and, and all the channels working together in order to deliver on the promise. So that's, that's why that I think that, I mean, to be trusted is, is, a, is a really great compliment. It certainly is. And, and when it comes to trust, is it a question of the consumers trusting the quality of the products, tr- trusting the on-time delivery, trusting the fact that everything will get them to receive what they need at the at the point of purchase or delivery? Where does this trust come in, let's say, that would be one of the, the key qualities that a consumer products company needs to survive today? Just a little bit more, Javier? Yeah, sure. I think that... that- I mean, the first thing of trust will start with that, that, the trust that they will be using, I mean, how they will be using your information. Because, you, I mean, ah. you are sharing a lot of information with these companies. Uh, I mean, and this is personal information. So first, you, I mean, they have to, to make good use of that. And the, part of the use is to bring value to you through personal experiences so that the web page looks different, to, to have better offers, better products, and once, I mean, that's on, on, the, on the data side, but also, I mean, if I order something, I'm expecting that I will, that I will have it by certain, by the commitment, the commit date, right? Because maybe I want it for a party or maybe I want it, I want it for a trip, and if, if it's not in time, then it's, it's useless, right? So that's, that's what, what, what we, are, we are facing here as, as companies. I mean, we need to, to, to be... I mean, in order to gain the trust, we need to, to, to deliver on the, on the promise. 
Deliver on the promise. That's what it's all about. One quick question for you before I introduce Kyle Tate with his quote. Do you like the basketball analogy, the idea of the crossover move? You think it's valuable to CP companies? Yes. I mean, I, I really like it. I, mean, I, I play basketball at high school and ah. college. It's a, it's a team sport. But what I like about the crossover is that everybody on the team is doing their, their moves, right, with the defense and the blocks and everything. But then you have just this one guy that has to be really agile and, and it has to, meet, to move really quickly uh, in order to, to, make, to make the basket. So I, what I see as an analogy on consumer product is that each player is like a route to market. So you have the, the modern trade, you have independent stores, you have direct-to-consumer, and then in each of these route to markets, you can have a really fast move Uh, Mm -hmm. and that will also make the basket. That's what we're talking about. Thank you so much, Javier. Thanks for the sports sports validation there. And by the way, disclaimer to our listeners, I don't know much about basketball. I went to a lot of Oregon Ducks basketball games back in the day when I lived in Eugene, Oregon, many decades ago, but I really didn't follow much. So uh, I'm I'm just uh, reading my research, but I hope it sounded good. Kyle Tate is up next. Kyle at Eventful Conferences. And Kyle has sent us a quote that is usually associated with the movie The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. I thought it was a charming movie. However, Kyle... I did some more research, and it looks like it came from a Brazilian writer who originally said it in Portuguese. His name was Fernando Sabino. He lived from 1923 to 2004, and here it is in Brazilian, in Portuguese rather, and I don't know if anybody on the call can translate it, but I will in a minute. No fim tudo da certo, sa nao due, ainda nao chergu ao fem. And that translates to, it'll all be all right in the end. And if it is not all right, then it is not yet the end. This was also stated, apparently attributed to John Lennon, many others, but wrongfully attributed to the Brazilian writer Paulo Coelho. Fernando Sabino is the correct one. So forgive me for the research there, Kyle, but I love the quote. It'll all be all right in the end. And if it's not all right, then it's not yet the end. Welcome, Kyle Tate. How are you today? Hi, Bonnie. Very well, thank you. And thank you very much for having me on the show today. Delighted. Talk to me about the quote, and don't worry about where it comes from. It's a great quote. It's also been said it'll be fine in the end, and if it's not fine, it's not yet the end. It'll be good in the end. So it's been making the round. So tell me how this quote relates to our topic today, please. CP. I think it's such an amazing quote, and, you know, there's been iterances of it throughout history, and even you know, John Lennon at the time was, it was really going through a, an anxiety-filled period within his life. And uh, he made that saying popular and then into the Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. And I think being able to remember that quote in your life and throughout your life really reduces the amount of anxiety that you're faced with when dealing uh, in a situation. Yeah, consumer industries are facing massive amounts of change and uncertainty. But I feel like we're in a renaissance period at the moment where organizations just threw out a product and expected people to buy it and learn from their mistakes along the way. But we're such a, a data-rich org- uh, industry or uh, world at the moment where we have that ability to understand where we can pivot and where we can move that will make everything all right in the end, so to speak. So, you know, I think if we look through uh, the, the Great Depression and through the dot-com bust, uh, and as well as the um, 2008 financial crisis, everybody at those points in history thought that that might be the end. 
But the truth is everything went back to normal and we're better off and we learned from our mistakes. So, you know, I think a lot of people need to take that to heart. And uh, when dealing with anxiety-filled periods in their life and within organizations as well, to just remember that, to remember to you stick to your guns, do what you do best, and everything will work out for the best in the end. I like that. I like that positive. There's a lot of optimism in there. Kyle, do you like our basketball analogy? What do you think? Is it that crossover move, that fast dribble, that switching hands, that going up the court and faking out your your opposite team? What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a brilliant analogy. And, you know, the more you think about it, the more you see it having a a great um, relationship with the way businesses move. You know, for a crossover to be effective, it needs to be instantaneous and everything needs to align. The eyes, the hands and the feet all need to understand where the ball is going to move and what direction you're going to pivot on to give you that space. And the outcome is often that the defense is left falling over, the basket is, is made and the crowd goes wild. You know, and if an organization can take that into their own hands and be able to understand where their strengths are to pivot and to make the direction and make that slam dunk, your shareholders and all of your fans around you will cheer and, and ultimately, you know, like you even better and you'll be in a better position and stronger at the end of the day. Thank you very much. Are you a basketball fan or follower? Kyle, I, I heard all the things you were saying. It sounded like you were right there on the court. How much do you follow basketball? I follow college basketball quite a lot. I'm based up here in Syracuse, New York, so I love the fact that the crossover was matured here in Syracuse. So for me, I'm an avid college foot, uh, college uh, basketball fan, so always make it to the home games and sometimes the away ones too. Very nice. Glad to know. I had a feeling. It sounded like somebody who sat courtside or maybe even played really knows what's going on. Thank you. As I said, I don't know much about basketball, but I did a lot of homework for this one. Thank you, Kyle. Looking forward to a lot more from you. And finally, welcoming Don Gordon, who's one of the three sponsors of this series. And Don has sent us, Don, how am I doing with the basketball stuff? Am I doing okay so far? Yeah, great so far. You sound like a uh, longtime fan. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm doing the crossover, Don. I'm faking it. <laughs> okay, so here is the quote. Don has sent us a very interesting quote from Theodore Rothke. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. R-O-E-T-H-K-E. He was an American poet regarded as one of the most accomplished and influential poets of his generation. The quote is from his poem, I'm Here, verse number four. I looked up a, a work of uh, the anthology of Rothke, Don, and uh, let me see what else. His work is characterized by introspection, rhythm, and natural imagery. He won the Pulitzer Prize for Poetry in 1954 for his book, The Waking. He won the National Book Award for Poetry twice in 1959 and posthumously in 1965. And he was called the great, uh, greatest poet this country has yet produced by author James Dickey in the 1968 edition of the Atlantic Monthly. Very, very interesting. He also taught poetry at the University of Washington, and his students won two Pulitzer Prizes for poetry, and two were nominated for the award. Very interesting. So he passed along the skill and the passion. Here's the quote, and Don, you're really going to have to explain this to me because I can't figure it out. Here's the quote. My geranium is dying for all I can do still leaning toward the last place the sun was. I've tried, I don't know how many times to replant it. That's the full line. Don Gordon, welcome. How are you? I'm doing great. So, yeah, so um, uh, just a minor uh, pronunciation correction. His his name is is pronounced Retka. 
Thank you. And the reason I like the line about the geranium, um, aside from the fact that I'm a, I'm a tend to uh, uh, kill a lot of plants that are given to me, um, <laughs> is that it, the, the, the sense is that you know plants when you're when you're growing them, they you know they be, they become accustomed to the light coming from a certain direction. And, you know, if the light changes and they're not able to, to adapt, then they run into problems. And when I was reading it, um, it struck me that a lot of the consumer products companies that have been extremely successful, um, you know, that their, their issue um, is they, they, they tend to, like, stay too long where the sun is. In other words, you know, they see where there's a product that's successful, a market that's highly successful, a, um, a segment of their of their uh, their buying audience that they're doing extremely well with, and then you know as as a trend starts to change, they're not able to to move quickly enough, and you know they they end up with a lot of um, a lot of investment and a lot of resource tied to something that is essentially where the sun used to be, and that's that's kind of why I liked it. I like I like the way you're explaining it. Uh, tell me something. You're the one who came up with the basketball crossover idea, and I put it into the title of the show. I changed the episode a little bit, done so we could highlight it from basketball playbook to consumer products, the crossover move. So where did you get the inspiration for this approach to our topic? I know we have a lot to talk about, but I know our sports fans around the world are probably saying, wow, that's really good, and I have to credit Don Gordon with that. So, Don, what inspired you to bring the crossover move into this discussion? Well, just as a quick as a quick pitch, um, Javier, who's on the line, and a colleague of ours, Colby Sheridan, and myself, and a couple of others, are are uh, about to publish a um, a paper which is which is on a very you know is on on a similar set of themes, and we kind of came up with it as as a way of um, you know introducing the topics in the paper since that's coming out very shortly, and we will make all the information available to your listeners. Um, it made sense to carry it over here. So I should say I'm, I'm, I live in Philadelphia. I lived here for, for many years. And, and in terms of uh, loyalty to certain crossover specialists, mm-hmm. I'm somewhat partisan when it comes to Allen Iverson. Um, he, came, he came into the league. He was number one pick for the Sixers. And he really changed a lot of things about the league. I mean, there's a lot, there are certain players who you say, you know, there's kind of like before they came into the league and then afterward. And he, he's one of those people um, the style, the style of play, everything kind of changed with him. Um, and one of the most notable clips, which you can see, um, his his first year when he came in, um, and he, he was being guarded by Michael Jordan, and he did this this amazing crossover and left Michael Jordan. He wasn't he, he didn't quite fall over, but he almost fell over, and it was and you know and Iverson went by and made the basket, and that was kind of a sign like. Okay, you know the, the the old guard is kind of getting ready to to to, to fade out a little bit, and and then you know this new star is coming in, and that's I encourage people to take a look at that. And one of the reasons that I liked it is because along with some of the the uh, the things that Javier and Kyle have pointed out, is that the crossover it not only it not only creates opportunities for the individual with the ball, but it also creates a lot of options for them. So one of the things that Iverson was extremely good at was he, w- he would basically do the crossover, move into the lane toward the basket, and as the rest of the defense sort of collapsed in toward the basket, he would then pass the ball out to somebody who was left wide open. And so mm-hmm. essentially the way, I, the way I tied it to consumer products in my mind is that you know, you, there's a lot of different um, types of you know, quote-unquote plays. You know, we talked about direct-to-consumer, 
talking right. about, you know, e-commerce, you know, working with different retailers and different types of arrangements. There's all these different things that they can do. Um, and they may, they may want to, in some ways, disguise their intentions, take certain investments, um, go public with certain types of things while they're also working on other things, and can, can essentially um, kind of, uh, you know, hide their intentions and, and, and be, you know, more surprising and, and take their competition by surprise as they're, as they're taking certain moves. So that, that was what tied it together for me. I like it a lot, and I told you on our prep call that my only claim to knowing anything about Allen Iverson is that when my daughter was a resident at a very well-known uh, high-level hospital in Philadelphia, she we got her an apartment in a high-rise in Center City, and lo and behold, Allen Iverson's apartment was a couple of doors down the hall on the same exact floor. So she said to me, there's a lot of people coming into that, that place, a lot of partying going on. And I said, who? And she said, I don't know, somebody named Alan Iverson. So that that's all. So when this came up and I, I looked up the idea of the crossover and saw his name, I said, yes, I, I didn't see him in person, but I know where he lived at that point in time. We'll not talk about how many years ago that was. But thank you very much, Don. Very, very exciting. And I said to Don off air that I think I'm going to use him as a, and, and this team as a coach for some of our other series sponsors on Game Changers Radio. We have 39 series, and 18 of them are in live production this year about picking up some really exciting sports and other cultural references in the titles of the show to to draw a bigger audience. So thank you, Don and Kyle and Javier. Now we want to get to know the three of you very briefly, just a little more personally. So let's quickly go around the table, and I have three questions for each of you. Number one, where are you today? What city, country, or state, part of the world? Number two, what's your favorite drink that powers you to be so smart? And number three, what is your role where you work? So Javier Flores, you're up first. Where are you? What do you love to drink? And what do you do? Uh, I am in Monterrey, Mexico. It's, Monterrey is northeast of Mexico, about 200 kilometers from into the American border. Uh, my My favorite drink I'm sure, I'm sure you've heard that before, is coffee. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, what I, what I like about coffee is that, I mean, it gives me company in the morning. All, all morning I have my, my hot coffee on my desk. Uh, and depending on the mood, sometimes after, I mean, after a nice lunch with colleagues or friends, I have a cappuccino, I mean, to the, to the table talk. And also what I like about coffee is when you travel, I mean, you see how locals, I mean, they drink coffee differently. I mean, you go to Brazil, there is a stronger, uh, you go to, uh, to Argentina, they, they like it like espresso. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you also get to know the, 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 the people based on, on what, they, what, they, what they drink. And also, it's a highly personalized drink. I mean, I heard in, in one of your shows, like, the difference between uh, Starbucks in Australia and Starbucks mm-hmm. in the U.S., yes. in which they have different, different offering because uh, the, the, the people is, is different. Uh, and what do I do? I work for the SAP-CX, which is Sub-Customer Experience Group, uh, and I'm focused on consumer products. So basically what I do is I check the market, I talk with customers, I check trends, and I work with SAP in order to, to have an offering uh, that, that can help companies deliver on this rapidly changing market in, in all that, the channels like commerce, uh, call centers, uh, customer facing, direct to consumer. 
So basically, I make the link between the business needs and the solutions offered by SAP. Thank you, Javier. I am so intrigued with the way you talked about the the personal and cultural differences in how people like their coffee, how they drink their coffee, the styles of coffee. I don't think we've had quite as interesting a discussion or or insights from any of our panelists who, who also love coffee over the years in, in the different styles of coffee around the world. And I just want to tell you that I vacationed at Club Med in Cancun many years ago, and I wasn't much of a coffee drinker, but <coughs> excuse me, they had pots of coffee on the table at breakfast that were like mud dark and thick and I couldn't get enough. I don't think I was worried about caffeine because I was on vacation. I wanted to ha- stay awake and have fun and I drank a pot of coffee every morning. I couldn't get enough. I have been unable to replicate that dark, almost a cocoa very, very, I call it mud. It was just dark and wonderful. Nothing in it. I didn't put cream, sugar, anything and it was just delicious. So maybe that's what I was experiencing. So thank you for, for uh, inciting that memory. I appreciate that, Javier. Let's move around the table to Kyle Tate. Kyle, where are you today? What do you love to drink and what's your role at eventful conferences, please? So I am based in Syracuse, New York. So that's where I am today in central New York. Um, what I like to drink, I don't know if it makes me any smarter, but I really enjoy Jamison <laughs> whiskey. Um, mm. it, it's always been something my dad and my brothers and myself have enjoyed uh, throughout the years and just the, the reminiscence of drinking a, a glass of Jamison's, thinking about all the great times I've had with my family, uh, centered around that as well, really you know, makes me uh, miss home and makes me enjoy the times we had together. And in fact, I will be going off to Ireland in the middle of next month to go and do a whiskey tour of Ireland for a week. So really looking forward to that. Um, and what I do at Eventful Conferences, I work as a producer and researcher. Uh, Eventful Conferences run industry events for SAP, and uh, at the moment, I have been researching and producing a conference for the consumer industries, so understanding what their common challenges are, the trends within those industries and their pain points, and one of the most amazing things is seeing how much of an imperative customer experience is to all three of those industries, and absolutely every part of the ecosystem and the end-to-end business processes seem to be centered around delivering a great customer experience, which I think is uh, truly inspiring as a consumer um, and also somebody seeing the other side of the fence of how organizations are reacting to demands of the consumer. Thank you very much, Kyle. And I have to tell you, I looked up Jameson Irish Whiskey, and it's interesting that you said it's something you and your family enjoy. I don't know if you, you know the story of the family behind Jameson? Are you aware of it? I'm not that aware of it, no. Okay. The John Jameson and Son Irish Whiskey Company was formally established in 1810 when John Jameson and his son, also John, took ownership of the Bow or Bow, B-O-W Street Distillery in Dublin, which had been originally built by his wife's cousins, the Steins, in 1780. Jameson was a Scottish lawyer from Aloha in Clackmanshire who married Margaret Haig, a sister of the Haig brothers who owned the Haig distilleries. Talk about a family. Margaret Haig was the first cousin of the Steins, a Scottish distilling family with significant distilling interest in Scotland and Dublin. On his marriage to Margaret in 1786, he moved with his wife to Dublin to manage the family's Bow Street distillery for Margaret Stein's uncle. And on and on and on the story goes, look up Jameson Irish Whiskey on Wikipedia. So you're talking family and they're talking family. Isn't that nice, Kyle? Yeah, great. It's, it's good to know that it is a family whiskey. I think we, we chose the right brand then. 
You absolutely did. Thank you very much. I warned you I like to look things up. And now let's move around to Don Gordon, who is waiting. I said on a show last week, Don, that one of my panelists was waiting patiently to speak. And when it was his turn, I said, okay, Bob, or whatever his name was. And he said, how do you know I'm waiting patiently? And I I just completely (laughs) lost it because I was just being polite. So Don Gordon is waiting to tell us. Don, where are you today? What do you love to drink? And what's your role at SAP? Well, I think I already tipped my hand that I'm a Philadelphia guy. A little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Which, you know, works out because I'm very, fairly close to the, uh, the Newtown Square office of SAP, um, but also love uh, being in the city. After hearing the, uh, the pitch for Jameson, I'm tempted to change my drink choice. Um, <laughs> so I, also, I also do like whiskey. Um, but I'm currently I'm drinking uh, LaCroix sparkling water, uh, uh, the grapefruit or pomplamoose flavor. And I, I like it, but I especially just like saying Pomplamoose because it sort of sounds like it could be the name of a, uh, a villain in an old cartoon show or something. Isn't that true? Um, and my role at SAP is I'm the um, the global marketing lead for consumer products industry. So I'm largely responsible for content creation um, and fortunately have the great opportunity to work with, uh, with colleagues and partners like uh, Kyle and Javier on the line here. How nice of you to say that. And by the way, I think there's a backstory here on LaCroix. I have them up on my screen here. L-A-C-R-O-I-X, LaCroix Sparkling Water. Here's a little, maybe there's a crossover move in the story, Don. You tell me. LaCroix is an American sparkling water distributed by National Beverage Corporation. Listen to this. Sales records have never been publicly released, but market research suggests LaCroix, or LaCroix, the French might say it, holds a 30% market share in sparkling water sales in the U.S., double that of the main competitor. Do you know who that would be, Don? I'm going to say Perrier. You're absolutely right. On the money there. Do you think there's maybe a crossover move in the background here that LaCroix LaCroix is uh, doing their sales and it's double that of Perrier and and they're a a well-kept secret because they haven't released any sales information? What do you think? Well, it's privately held. <laughs> That's certainly part of so it. So they don't have to. Um, but it, yeah, but I mean, I, I I think they've they've grown a lot, certainly by by word of mouth. And there's there's something a bit, uh, you know, I don't want to say addictive, but it's a little addictive about it. I remember going to the grocery store and seeing people piling up cartons of it and wondering, like, what is the deal? It's just, you know, it's seltzer water. But once I started drinking it, I found I kept going back to it. Very good. There we go. And Don, you know what? I've made an executive decision here. We're not going to take a break. We've already been so deep into the topic and we're going to continue. I don't want to lose any time here because we're really, really trucking or uh, running up the court with this. So uh, Javier, I'm looking at your notes here and I'm just going to pick one of your statements and we'll go around the table. Two minutes apiece. First you, then Kyle, and then Don, and then I'll pick one from Kyle and one from the notes from Don Gordon. So Javier Flores told me the following... Uh, let's talk about technology. That's what we like to talk about here. Technology has enabled ways for consumer products, CP companies, to interact directly with consumers. You want to talk about that, Javier? Is that a good one? Yeah, sounds great. Okay, tell me a little bit more, please. Sure. I mean, if we we just think about like a few years back, normally a CP company business was pretty easy. I mean, they produce their product, they did some marketing, advertising in the regular media, and then they invest a point of sales 
with trade marketing in order to, for the consumer to take the decision at the store. But today with technology, I mean, that many of the decisions are not taken at the store. I mean, they are taken before, maybe on the Internet uh, or maybe with a personal recommendation. And, and, and also now with, with Internet, the CP companies can put information to the consumers so that they can get a, a lot of, of more uh, facts in order to take, to take their, their decision. And now with all the change that is happening in retail, which are becoming like frenemies because they also have mm-hmm. their private labels. So the competition is even more complex. So now they are starting to go direct to consumer, not just on the information uh, and to, to build brand preference, but also on, they are selling direct to consumer. So, and I mean, I mean, thanks to internet, thanks, thanks to uh, artificial intelligence, now they can do better, better personalization. And now with the uh, GDPR regulations that are happening in Europe, that, that, that consumers now, they feel protected about their, their personal information. Mm-hmm. Now they are also sharing more information with consumer product companies. So what, what, what we see here is that everything is changing so fast in, 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 the, last, in the last few years. Yeah. Thank you very much. Good insights. I want to make sure we got tech in there and uh, very intrigued with what you said. Kyle Tate, please join us. Agree or disagree with what Javier just mentioned? You know, I completely agree. And you see the benefits that technology is having in the much more targeted approach that companies are are being able to offer discounts and promotions to their customers. I look at a company uh, like Under Armour, for example. I wear their shoes and I'm an avid runner and they know how long the shoes can take uh, before you need to buy a new pair. And with the connected app while you're running, you can share your stats. You can see how your friends and family are doing compared to you, which is great for me as a consumer to be able to benchmark myself against my friends. But Under Armour are able to use that technology to then promote to you your new pair of shoes uh, when your your shoes in their lifespan. So I think that the, the approach is allowing us as consumers to benefit from the information because we're able to use that uh, uh, quite positively and, uh, you know, a way that we can measure against other people's performance and also for organizations to have a much more targeted approach. I think the idea of a shotgun approach to marketing where you put something up on a billboard and just expect everybody that goes past, hopefully there's a few customers, to a much more micro-level marketing tactics or sales tactics, uh, I think that there's so many tremendous benefits And also organizations are are able to look within their own business processes using technology, uh, better able to identify where products should be placed or how your processes should be defined in a way that maximizes uh, your business potential and creates a best-in-class business practice. So I think overall it's a really positive thing. And I don't think we're, we're at the mature stage yet. I think we're still looking at new technologies in the way that those can be harnessed within organizations. Thank you, Kyle. Great insights. Don Gordon, please join us. What would you like to add? Well, I think I, you know, I somewhat disagree, um, and here's why. I think mm-hmm. when you sort of start the question and the conversation from a point of view of technology, um, there's a tendency sometimes for companies to start out thinking, well, there's a technology, what should we do with it? And I think, th- I think it's a mistake in, in the sense that when you're talking about getting closer to consumers, 
and building up a trusted relationship with consumers, you have to start from the perspective of what do consumers want, um, how do they want to interact with your brand, what do you have brand permission to actually deliver. So I like the um, the Under Armour story, um, although uh, I actually don't uh, I don't run with that brand, but. I was going to mention, um, kind of related, that, that if you're a, uh, a fan of Adidas or Adidas, as they say mm-hmm. on the continent, um, mm-hmm. they've done a really amazing job of figuring out ways that consumers want to interact with them, and then they've figured out the technology to deliver on it. So, for example, it's very, very easy on the, the Adidas website to go, to go over to the section where you can do these amazing customized shoes. And again, it starts from an insight about what the style that people want. Um, they also have a whole section devoted to um, the relationship with the designer Stella McCartney. And, and again, um, you know, it's 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 delivered digitally, um, but it's all it's all based on an understanding that consumers would be looking for an Adidas shoe that's designed by somebody of that caliber. And then, you know, somewhat similar to the um, the Under Armour app. There's a there's a an Adidas app called All Day, where they have workout plans. There's nutrition plans. There's there's you know uh, yoga instruction. There's a whole you know big trend around foam rolling now. There's a whole section on foam rolling, and so they've kind of figured out that people who people who wear the shoes um, are are interested in this entire outcome associated with the wearing of the shoe. Um, you know whether it's you know, peace and calm through yoga, whether it's, you know, losing weight or health or nutrition, and they're trying Mm -hmm. to deliver the consumer outcome through this sort of package of digital experiences. So what you're saying is, Don, is don't just think, oh, there's a new tech out there, new technology, let's just grab it and figure out what to do with it. You're saying define a problem, define a need, have a focus, have a goal, and then see what technology will help you get there. Is that the approach? I think that's right, yeah. Okay, let me just, that's a very interesting uh, way of looking at it. Let's quickly go around the table and see if the other panelists agree with you since you challenged them. Javier, what do you think? Agree or disagree with Don's nuance, I'll call it? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of agree. But basically, what I see that most companies, are this, uh, you check like this is Sport Apparel, I mean, they are changing basically their offering. So now, instead of becoming like a, a true company, I mean, they are becoming more like a health company. And the reason here is instead of selling products, they are trying to sell outcomes. Right? So what they want you is to be like healthy. In order to do that, I mean, I need to provide the apparel, but also I need to track your information in order, I mean, about your performance. I need to help you with your diet. So um, a a company that that used to be just selling products now is, is taking their consumers I mean, to reach an, an objective. And that's, that's what I like about this, this, this new approach that, I, I mean, Adidas and, and, and also Under, Under Armour are, are, are going for. But this is pretty unknown. I mean, we don't know. It's pretty new, right? So let's see where it takes us. Very interesting. Kyle, I want to bring you into this, but Kyle, I'm looking at your notes here, and you mentioned that you developed some technology in 2013 that was ahead of its time. Do you want to mention that? And, and that way we'll have a, the perspective of the technology developer. Kyle, Tate? Yeah, sure. So, you know, it's interesting. I saw what happened at the uh, New York Fashion Week this year with uh, Basley Mechka, where mm-hmm. they used Beacon Technology and their app uh, during the catwalk 
to get information about the outfits that the models were wearing. And the amount of feedback that they were able to get from the feedback from the, the people watching the show was more information that they've been able to get in an entire season. So that's that uh, um, amount of information and the, the uh, propulsion of the way that they're able to get that information uh, in such a short time frame set them up for success. Uh, in 2013, uh, a group of friends and I were looking at beacon technology and near-field communication and developed something that we thought that the, the big draw would be in the event space at mm-hmm. concerts or at festivals where you're able to get notifications on your phone depending on your location. Um, and we sold that technology not really understanding how important data would be for brands uh, coming from consumers to be able to position their technology most effectively. Thank you very much. Very. I just wanted to get that in because I was uh, very excited. You you had developed technology that is now being used, and sometimes the the technology comes before companies can see the use, and sometimes it's uh, after the fact of the the field is already crowded. I'm looking at where we want to go next. We have about another seven minutes till we go to our predictions round. Don, this goes very fast when you're having such an exciting conversation. Um, let's talk just a little bit. I'm looking at your notes here, Kyle. We've covered quite a bit already. You say small brands that are agile and able to pivot the position have far better potential for growth than large organizations swamped in time-consuming processes. That makes me think of why are they still swamped in time-consuming processes. But you mentioned a brand called, I hope I can say this on the air, No Bull. You want to tell us a little bit about that and, and how they're eating up somebody else's market share? Talking about a crossover move, Kyle? Yeah, absolutely. So, so here's a brilliant example of a small organization that used social media and free advertising to get into the hearts and minds of their consumers. Now, for since the, the sport began, CrossFit has always really been owned by Reebok. And in fact, they, they sort of own that industry. But Noble used social media influences gave them their apparel and said, tell me what you think. And they used them as a bit of a focus group to improve the product that they were delivering to them. And the, the CrossFit stars started aligning with the product better. And all of a sudden, you're seeing their posts wearing Noble and promoting the product. Mm. They're able to eat into that CrossFit market share without ever using the actual word CrossFit. And it's, it's because they looked at their business. Originally, they were going for casual wear. But they, they looked at their business and they understood that there was a market there. There was room for competition in a, a true monopoly in the sense. Um, so they went after the, that sort of industry and realigned and pivoted. And I think organizations who are small and nimble and agile can, can certainly pivot their products and look at other markets, other avenues for growth and start marketing towards that, promoting that, and effectively entering those spaces, which I think a lot of organizations that are big and more mature are taking uh, some notes out of to be able to look at their own organizations and truly act as agile startups, despite the fact that they're large organizations. But that's the onus that needs to be put onto them is you need to stop thinking like a big organization, start thinking like a true startup again and be hungry for that success. Uh, Otherwise, small unnoticed brands will come in and overnight start to dominate the market. 
Thank you very much. Um, Don Gordon, we have a little bit of time left. I'm looking at your notes, and here's something very interesting uh, related to our crossover move theme. You say consumer experiences, this is very provocative, Don, consumer experiences cannot be predicted, manufactured, stocked, or distributed, but they can be created and delivered at the moment of need. How do you do that? I know segment of one is something you want to talk about, but let's relate that to crossover move. How can consumer products companies create and deliver the moment of need customer experience that's going to delight, engage, make loyal customers, loyal followers, and as Kyle just explained, perhaps use social media to get there. What's your point of view, Don? Yeah, well, I think... um um, you know, we talked a little bit about this idea that consumer products companies have evolved from thinking solely about products, and now they're thinking about the outcomes mm-hmm. that consumers are seeking. And it, you know, in, in a lot of cases, it has been these 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 smaller sort of startups or up and coming companies that have developed these these models, these types of services, and people end up buying the product because they bought into the service. And, you know, an interesting example um, is a company that was recently acquired by Procter & Gamble. So there were, there were two um, graduates from uh, Notre Dame, I think, who developed this, this laundry service called PressBox. And it's basically on-demand dry cleaning and laundry. So you would, mm-hmm. you would go on to the app, um, you know, that you would, you would schedule for, um, for a pickup, and you know, and every, everything gets everything gets um, kind of taken care of, you know, se- seamlessly th- through the uh, the digital experience. And I think it, you know, to me, it's kind of fascinating that Procter and Gamble, which is which is you know been known for so many years for for, for providing these um, products for something like laundry, starting to starting to move into the service side of it. You know, the sense is that there's this this very um, I would say desirable segment of people. Um, in, in, in terms of the consumer products business, let's say, you know, y- young professionals, maybe in, in urban environment, um, who don't have a lot of time but have extra money to pay for something like, uh, you know, dry cleaning service that gets picked up and delivered. Um, and at the same time, these are people who are likely to form their, um, their early impressions about these types of brands and stay loyal to the brand, as well as being, um, being open to sort of upsell, cross-sell, because they're, they're kind of become loyal users of a service like that. And I think that's a, re- that's a really interesting example of, of sort of migrating from, from product to service and then mm-hmm. using that digital service as a platform for you know, figuring out how to deepen the relationship with consumers. Thank you, Don. I'm on their website, usepressbox.com, one word. And the mantra here is drop off, pick up, repeat. Drop off your clothes in one of our 24-7 accessible boxes and easily place your order using your phone. We'll notify you when your clothes are ready for pickup. So it looks like they're doing this on a you drop off and they will pick up from the box. They're in over 250 buildings in Chicago, Washington, D.C., and Nashville. What do you think? Very clever, yes? I think so, and I think it's fascinating that that P and G would make an investment in this in this you know in, in this business in a space that they traditionally haven't played in. Interesting. Is that is that a crossover move? Absolutely. I think it it's it's uh, it absolutely is. Thank you. Let's quickly go around the table and get reactions from Javier Flores and then Kyle Tate, and then uh, Don. I'm going to start the predictions round with you. So Javier, quick comment on what. Don just shared with us about PressBox. 
Yeah, I mean, I I, I like this idea that uh, about this. I mean, company companies be, becoming on the, the, uh, on the innovation side, like entrepreneurship inside the, the same companies, or also acquiring companies that are innovating. But also, what I see, I mean, of, of, about big CP companies, either they, I mean, they don't have the agility yet, but they are working on it. But they have the muscle in order to bring innovation, I mean, to the masses, right? So maybe they can they find by by some they, they can acquire a company or they can see that the market is is looking for something or is starting to consume something, and the, if they agile enough based on the muscle that they have around the, the the world, I mean, they can bring this innovation to the masses. So that's that's what I what I like about this kind of hybrid approach between innovation and, uh, and, and the muscle of, of, of big companies. Ah, and I like agility, the word. Yep, go ahead. Yeah, and, this, and this agility, I mean, is based in, in most of the cases with technology. Yeah. Thank you very much. Kyle Tate, quick comment on this? Oh, I couldn't agree more. I think it's, it's fantastic to see, you know, with, with some brands that create this personality, how larger organizations can acquire them and, in fact, promote the work that they do. You know, think about the beer industry of a lot of acquisitions happening across the craft beer, uh, brewery space, and that is mainly done to enhance the uh, smaller craft breweries ability to get their products out to the masses so i think it's a, it's a great way for organizations to buy customers to diversify their offering and you know ultimately to to be able to enhance what that organization is already doing and bring it to scale thank you very much great insights don you really started something good here and don i'm going to kick off the round table we're tight on time so let's have a 45 second i know nobody can just do 45 seconds 45 second prediction what will it go happening in the future on crossover cp industries agile companies versus uh, disrupting versus the big behemoths and, and what the future will be by 2025 what can we expect to see that will happen in cp don gordon 45 seconds and then next javier and we'll finish up with cal go ahead don yeah, I mean, I think um, just to just to kind of circle back to the uh, you know this this basketball analogy and the crossover idea. Mm-hmm. One of the great things about basketball, um, aside from uh, letting short guys like me live vicariously by watching a sport, is that um, <laughs> you know you might try a certain move up the court and it doesn't work and it's okay. You know, the next time up the court, you try something a little differently or you try the same play. Um, or you, you know, you, you try a modification of the play, um, but there's, you know, there there isn't this sense of 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 sort of you know chewing and chewing on why that one specific play didn't didn't work. You just you know next time up the court you try something a little bit different, and I think it's really this notion that larger CP companies are going to uh, are going to start to build into their um, the way that they operate is a sense of. We're going to try different things. We're not necessarily going to make massive investment and, you know, and, and, and sort of like turn the entire ship in the direction, but we'll try, you know, direct to consumer certain products. We'll experiment in certain markets. We'll try, you know, partnerships with, um, with companies in adjacent industries. We'll try some of these sort of service oriented approaches and we'll kind of see what works and we'll, and we'll, you know, we'll pursue things based on the success versus the traditional model of making, you know, very large investments around, let's say, um, you know, traditional product launches. So that's my prediction. 
Thank you very much. And by the way, I'm looking at the press release July 3rd, 2018, just a, a couple months ago, of uh, Pressbox being acquired by P&G. Very interesting. I'm going to put that in the, the tweet, my tweet here. Okay, uh, let's go around to Javier Flores. Javier, 45 seconds real tight. What's your prediction, please? Okay, well, what, what I think is going gonna, is gonna to happen, I mean, CP companies, they will be keep, I mean, working in order to get closer to, to the consumer. There will be partnership with another CP companies. I mean, in order to, to have a broader offer, they will be also sharing this last mile distribution, so that we, we you can order from several companies and, and get that in one in, in one package. And as the offer is going to be growing, I mean, we will be willing to share our information with the CP companies that we trust, in order to get recommendations of what. What, what, what it, we will like, or what, what from their offering, what, what will make sense for us. That's, Thank you, Javier. I, I have one sentence time left for Kyle, and then I have to close. We're at the clock. So, Kyle, one sentence. What's your prediction? Make it good. Change of business models. I think the subscription model across consumer products is a growing trend, and I think by 2025, uh, we'll have that subscription model down in every element of our business. Thank you very much. Brief and to the point and making a point. Thank you so much to Aaron and the Business Channel team for getting us on the air. And here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Javier Flores at SAP, just like Kyle Tate at eventful conferences, and just like Don Gordon at SAP. And a shout-out to all of you companies out there in the CP industry. Get ready for your crossover move. We can't wait to talk about it. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Changing the Game in Consumer Industries, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.